1: Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth Leapson this uh, Friday, July 1st. As we head into the holiday weekend, I was uh, privileged uh, to be in a meeting the other day talking about this uh, addressing homelessness issue that I've been sharing with you here and there. I was privileged to uh, see again uh, Rachel Mitchell, who is our county attorney. We were talking a little bit and thought it would be good uh, to come in and end up uh, end the week uh, having a conversation with our county attorney, who is really on the front lines, front lines of keeping uh, people in Maricopa County safe, safe. Uh, Rachel Mitchell for Maricopa.com is her website. Many of you uh, may know her from local news, uh, but she has a national reputation as well as having been uh, a, a career prosecutor who has spent most of her time dealing with children and victims of sex abuse. Many of you may remember her from the Brett Kavanaugh hearings when the Senate uh, Republicans brought her in to question, uh, Christine uh, Ford, Rachel Mitchell, welcome back to the show and welcome to the studio. This is first time in here, I think.
2: Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's great to have you here. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about you and a little bit about the office. I love this opening statement on your website. As a veteran prosecutor, I've spent my career fighting to protect children and victims of sex abuse. And as county attorney, I will fight for the safety of this community, uh, children and victims of sex abuse. That is where uh, you uh, cut your teeth—a great uh, for a great many years in in um, in the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Uh, we're about defending and protecting the most vulnerable. Tell us about that—how you got into that, and how um, how we are doing on that um, on that front these days.
2: Okay, yeah. Uh, so I started at the County Attorney's Office straight out of law school, and uh, my intent was to maybe do homicide prosecution. But while I was waiting for the bar results, I was assigned to work with the Sex Crimes Bureau and started seeing those types of cases, and quite honestly, it became my my passion. Um, And so after I uh, started as an attorney and got some trial chops, I transferred to the Sex Crimes Bureau and stayed either there or over the Family Violence Bureau, which is uh, child physical abuse and domestic violence, uh, for the bulk of my career, 25 years. And how are we doing? You know, it is uh, it is a very serious war that we wage. And uh, sometimes it can be overwhelming uh, with the proliferation of child pornography, sex trafficking, and just in-home child molest, interpersonal violence. Uh, but I think here in Arizona, we can be proud of some of the systems that we have in place to address that, such as the number of advocacy centers we have uh which is a place for victims to go outside of a police station to get all of the services that they need for the investigation done right there Uh, we teach people how to properly interview uh victims and uh so we have a lot of good things in place but obviously there's still room for improvement and uh we're moving forward
1: rachel um I I find that you, you don't have this problem because you're dealing in courts and with professionals who deal with this kind of thing routinely. But I find whenever I talk about sex trafficking, uh, I need to explain what it is I'm talking about. Would, mm-hmm. would you do that for the layperson? We know it's a bad thing. I don't think we know the enormity of it or, in fact, what it is. What are we talking about when we're talking about human trafficking or sex trafficking?
2: Sex trafficking is basically... Um In the child context, using a child or or in the greater context, using just a person um, for sexual purposes um, to gain usually money or or drugs or something like that. A lot of times what we're seeing are um, traffickers who uh, force somebody into that lifestyle or at least manipulate them into that lifestyle and they have... A multitude of customers and the money is then turned over of course to the trafficker. Uh, it can happen to people who are local. I think a lot of people perceive that sex trafficking victims are imported from other countries and while that's in part true uh, a lot of it are right here. Uh, they can be recruited in the schools and the malls and uh, every other place in Arizona.
1: Yeah, you have been working on this before the cartels became the cartels. So it, it nice. it's uh, and by cartels I mean foreign operations. Yes. So so yes, of course there is a a, a, dom- a domestic brewing of that, and that happens. Uh, how, Rachel? Uh, sometimes through kidnapping, but through luring, allurement. Am I using the right word? Through the internet, well, how do you see it happening if it's not a cartel situation? You
2: know, it, it can or it be, could be a
1: cartel situation. Yeah, too. It, it could yeah. be,
2: and and it can be um, a kidnapping that happens through you know manipulating a, a person to come over. You know, one of the big cases that really put this on the the forefront in Phoenix was the case where a, a so-called friend was used to lure a uh, young girl into a car and she was what they call turned out uh, tortured and actually kept in a a dog kennel in in the in-between times and that really kind of put it at everybody's on everybody's list of things that need to be addressed but a lot of times it can be done through just manipulation Uh, I've, I've heard traffickers or what a lot of people call pimps talk and i i still remember one talking about if he sees three girls together he he said i don't go after the the best looking one because i figure she's got you know confidence and i don't go over the the least good looking one because i figure she has he didn't say it this way but other skills to compensate he said i go after the one in the middle interest and i mean so the thought process that goes into this this evil is is incredible
1: you're there once it happens obviously yes. you can't uh, i mean obviously we also do have uh, investigators and people that, that that pose and try and intervene before it happens but what do you tell parents what's the advice you give to parents who are concerned about this and want to do their best at prevention mm-hmm. what's the message to them you know what should they be looking for what should they be doing
2: You know, I think it's important that the uh, access to the computer be someplace that the parents can kind of keep an eye on it. I think it's very important to have very frank discussions with your kids. Uh, Communication is key. Uh, It's also important to let them know how, you know, the right words as you're bringing your children up to teach the children the right words for body parts and for, for acts, because if they don't have the words, they can't communicate it. It's important to spend time with your kids to give them the confidence to have the relationship with you that they'll come report. And it's also critically important as a parent that you follow your gut instincts. I can't tell you how many cases I've had where – whether it's a trafficking or something, molest, where people have said, you know, I had a bad feeling and Mm -hmm. and they ignored it. And uh, there's a reason you had that feeling. You may not understand it, but I would go with it.
1: Parents have one piece of uh, of, of advanced experience uh, thankfully is that they have been there before they have been mm-hmm. a child they have been a young adult at one point in their lives exactly. so that, that that listen to your listen to what your, your your inner inner voice is saying when it comes to the protection of your children because you're and, probably right exactly
2: right? and and you know bring your child up to be confident. Um, So that they have that self-esteem. So because a lot of the manipulation goes to the child's self-esteem, not always, but a lot of times. And so that's really critically important to have that that strong attachment uh, with the parent growing up and the confidence.
1: We talk about that as one kind of crime. Crime is back in the news uh, or at least some of the news across the nation. And one of the things I think we in Arizona, particularly in Maricopa County, have been concerned about is what we're seeing take place in other states, neighboring states, Mm -hmm. um, particularly uh, California, Oregon and Washington state. And the thing is, I think this is only really I mean, I've known this and you've known this, but I think it's becoming public knowledge really over only the last three or four months that this really is a result of the county or the d- prosecutors or the district attorneys in those states. This really is a job of obviously the criminals doing, but they're countenancing of it. And I wondered if you might address that
2: at little or at length. You no, know, I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I could add cities to that list, okay. including Chicago and Good. Philadelphia and New York. And, you know, we, we tend to focus as citizens on Uh, the first part of the ballot you Mm -hmm. know the president Mm -hmm. and all of that but these are problems that are created in the down ballot Mm -hmm. these are problems that are created by what for example california calls the district attorney but what we here call the county attorney which is what i do and it's that chief prosecutor and it's also created by your city council so if you have a a prosecutor who will not enforce the laws Um, or picks and chooses which laws they will enforce, and you have a city council who does not fund and support the police – You've got a problem on your hands. That's
1: how you get Los Angeles. That's how you, That's get, how Los you get the tenderloin dish. I want to pick up on all those elements, by the way, mm-hmm. when we come back on the other side of this break. We will be right back. I'm speaking with Rachel Mitchell. She is our county attorney. She's uh, in studio, blessedly, uh, today. And you can check her out, help her out, and learn more about her at rachelmitchellformaricopa.com or .org. Either way, she makes it easy for you. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning. I use Cool Touch whenever I have an air conditioning, plumbing, or heating problem. You don't have to worry about the heat right now, gosh knows, goodness knows. But if you have air conditioning or plumbing problems, Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing is who you want. 17 years in business, A plus rating with the BBB, never received a complaint with the ROC. Check them out at CoolTouchAC.com if you're a conditioning needs repair, replacement, inspection, you name it, or if you have a plumbing problem, CoolTouchAC.com or give them a call at 623-734-1932. 623-734-1932. Uh, Rachel, right before Rachel Mitchell is our guest. Sorry for the informality, uh, but if you're just joining us, Rachel Mitchell is our county attorney, and she is our guest uh, in studio for the hour. Rachel Mitchell from Maricopa.com dot com is her website. Rachel, you were just talking with us in the previous segment about the importance of a good prosecutor versus a bad prosecutor at the elected or the frontline levels, whether the district attorney in Los Angeles or San Francisco or some of these other cities we have seen become such areas of nightmarish depravity or whether it's a person such as yourself. You can choose either way and the city will go either way. It is led that way when it comes to crime. You had mentioned that. There's a lot of prosecutorial discretion and, you know, prosecutors have to decide what cases make sense to bring and what cases make sense to uh, don't have enough evidence where they can bring a case. It's not about the evidence, though, in Los Angeles and San Francisco and some of these other places, Chicago, they have the evidence. It seems like it's almost a decided a, a decided and concerted effort not to prosecute certain kinds of crimes or against certain kinds of alleged criminals or criminal defendants. Your opponent here uh, running uh, running uh, for county attorney has already gone on record saying she herself won't even abide by the enforcement of certain whole categories of law. You know, as a, as, a, as a historian of sorts, I call that nullification. That's something we had to get rid of way back in the 19th century. I'm surprised it's back again, but I'd love to hear you weigh in on it.
2: Yeah, I I think it has a a graver danger than just the individual area that uh, may or may not be enforced. It is, to me, a threat to the entire system of governance. Uh, We in the United States, and specifically in Arizona, have decided that our legislature makes the laws. We have a House. We have a Senate. And it's our up to no, our
1: novel thought. I know.
2: <laughs> I right. wonder where we got that from. I bet you and,
1: probably think we also elect our legislators too to make those laws for yes, us. I yes. I very
2: <laughs> and, and we elect our governor as well to either sign or veto those bills. And so the decision on whether a a law should be uh enforced or not is not the job of the county attorney. The job of the county attorney is to enforce the laws. The oath that I have taken is not, I'll you know uphold the laws that I like. It's I will uphold the law of Arizona, and uh, so it, it's it's a greater threat to the system that we have. If if somebody disagrees with a law. Then they need to go to the legislature. They may
1: be running for the wrong office.
2: Uh, That's exactly what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you uh, are running to be a prosecutor or an enforcer of the law and you are saying, well, except whole categories of laws I don't agree with, Mm -hmm. no one's forcing you to run. Right. You're running for the wrong office. Right. Your job is to enforce that law.
2: I mean, if you could imagine, you know, you could get a chief of police in there saying, I'm not going to enforce this. I don't like it. Or even what stops a citizen from saying, I don't like that law. I'm not going to follow it. That's not how it works. And you need to go to the legislature.
1: Rachel Mitchell is our guest. She is our county attorney. Rachel, uh, one of the things that I think might have been surprising to a lot of Arizonans over the last six, seven months is when we were looking at the stats coming in about rising violent crime throughout the country, one of the 11 cities that saw one of the greatest uh, hikes in violent crime was Tucson. We were breathing a sigh of relief that Phoenix didn't make the list. What are we doing right here that maybe, um, you know, say it however you – pitch it however you would like, explain it however you would like, but what are we doing a little better if we are doing better than cities that have made those lists of top 11s, even cities in, in other um, parts of our state?
2: You know, I think when you're looking at those those cities that are having those problems, you're looking at some of the problems like we've been talking about is selective enforcement of laws. Um, you're also looking at le- what I would call leniency for leniency's sake. This is not research-backed where we're looking at a really good diversion program that has a high success rate with this this segment of the population, so we're going to put them in it and not prosecute them. This is just being lenient across the board, and it doesn't work. Uh, it's As we've talked about before, it is a failed social experiment. Um, It's also where you make a decision, you know, I know the legislature has imposed the death penalty. I'm not going to pursue the death penalty. I know that they uh, want theft prosecuted, but I'm not going to prosecute it below $1,000, which is carte blanche to then just go in and rip off $999 worth of stuff. Nobody's going to stop me. Uh, It just leads to lawlessness, and it is the antithesis of the broken windows theory of prosecution that we know works, which is you take care of the little stuff and it cuts down on the big stuff.
1: Yeah, if you allow, right, we, we have talked about this before. I can't talk about it enough. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. If you allow a zone, a region, an area, a part of a community to become lawless or to be come you know a, a haven for criminality even if it's low level it will attract more and more it will grow and grow there is nothing that will stop it it will become a, a, a vicious cycle of itself mm-hmm. and attract more of it yes. right that's what we're talking about here
2: exactly i mean the broken windows theory of course comes out of new york right. as you know and one of the things that they started with was cracking down on people that were jumping the turnstile in the subway system and what they found was that the people who do that tend to have warrants or they have weapons or they have drugs. And so by just targeting enforcement on that, they cut down on a lot of crime altogether. So what these cities are doing is they're saying, well, we're just being lenient because we don't want to prosecute people who are stealing small amounts because maybe they just need them. And so you're doing the opposite. You're letting the little stuff get of uh, them get away with the little stuff. So now the big stuff comes in next and they're getting away with that too.
1: I can't tell you how universal that that knowledge must be, uh, even if it's not acted upon. One of my first, I guess it was my first job in law school, was, uh I was in Massachusetts, so forgive me, but uh, I went with the best there was at the time. <laughs> I went to the legal counsel's office for Governor Bill Weld mm-hmm. and Bill Weld was a former U.S. attorney and that's when the Giuliani uh broken window stuff skelling and and uh, and such was taking place in new york and i asked him about it and he said when he was u.s attorney they did a study he said he didn't think they had done one in a while but when he did it when he was u.s attorney they did a study of arrestees mm-hmm. and what they found was regardless of the crime large or small most of the people they picked up had long rap sheets and were out for other things anyway which is what you just said and what they found in new york you found you, you were arresting turnstile jumpers. Truth of the matter is a lot of those people were wanted for serious felonies.
2: Yes, exactly. And it's not uncommon to see that where you'll see somebody with uh, something that may or may not seem that serious right. to you, but you pull up their record and it's like, whoa, that is a significant record. Yeah,
1: a lawless person is a lawless person and they're not thinking the difference between misdemeanors and felonies. That's not the way their brain works.
2: Well, and I also think that there is a, a truth to the fact that, 20 percent of the criminals commit 80 yes. percent of the crime and yes. so when you find somebody like that taking that person off the street it's is a huge plus a factor huge impact. yeah
1: a big multiplier when we come back and we talk a little bit about victims victims rights we do we, we, we yeah i would love to do that you've been a champion on that as well i'm seth leaves and she is rachel mitchell your county attorney rachel mitchell for maricopa.com be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. It's a real privilege and honor to have Rachel Mitchell in uh, studio with us. She is our county attorney. We've uh, always had a close relationship with the county attorney's office. We're delighted you're the new uh, county, attorney, uh, county attorney, Rachel, and we're delighted to have the same relationship with you. People want to learn more about you, help you out. Rachel Mitchell for Maricopa.com. In... Um In law school, and I suppose in the common culture when it comes to crime, uh, we are taught and learn about famous cases, Uh, Miranda, Mapp v. Ohio, Gideon Wainwright, there's a handful of them. And in the culture, the movies and the plays about these things, the lore that kind of suffuses this set of issues. It's always about the criminal defendant, and I understand that, of course, constitutional rights for every single American. But there's a forgotten person in these discussions, it seems to me, and it's the victim Mm -hmm. of these crimes. That's what I'm talking about when we're talking about and thanking you for your work on – Victims' rights. Do you want to say a word on behalf of what we mean when we talk about victims' rights and maybe how some of the focus needs to be a little bit shift, shifted just a little bit more in understanding the plight that these victims of violent criminality go through and have to deal with?
2: Absolutely. Uh, we have a very uh, good statute and uh, constitutional provision for victims' rights here. Uh, where we recognize that the victim has a right to be treated with fairness, respect, and dignity and that they have a right to access the courtroom whenever the defendant has the right to be there. So it tries to balance out that uh, scale a little bit. They have a right to be heard at significant parts of the case, such as bail and the, the plea and sentencing, and they have a right to confer with the prosecutor. So th- there are a number of rights um, that we recognize, and we have victim advocates, we have an entire division in our office to help walk people through that system. So it's it's a critical part of the criminal justice system, and I think you're exactly right. We always hear about Ernesto Miranda, right. but we never hear about the rape victim. No. And we don't hear about um, the the, we we look at prosecutors. Who did Furman
1: kill? We don't know. Yeah. we never learn about. I mean, you can learn about it if you look it up, but we're always talking about the right, right. Yeah. You
2: know, and and we, you know, there was the recent execution of of Atwood, mm-hmm. but there was a little eight year old girl that he raped and murdered, but we don't hear about that. And um, I think it's it's tragic. It's interesting that in this you know w- waning now, thankfully, anti police and anti prosecution sentiment. Uh, people were talking so much about, oh, you, know, you guys just lock people up. But when I would talk to them and say, who do you think holds the hand of the five-year-old little girl that's got to go up on that stand? It's the prosecutor. And people, they've totally forgotten that part. And we are a service industry We protect the community and we work with victims. And that's that has to be at the forefront of people's understanding of what we do.
1: Rachel, when we think about how to better prevent victims from becoming victims, is it in some respects what you said, which was a commitment to actually enforcing law? But is it also a question of personnel? Uh, the reason I ask is you mentioned the anti-law uh, enforcement mentality that, that that gripped this nation for for a little bit too long, not too long ago. How, how much havoc did that wreck on law enforcement?
2: Oh, a massive amount, and we're going to be digging out from it for a while now. Uh, we have a number of police agencies that are down significantly. Uh, Phoenix is down hundreds of officers, and... Uh, they have to make cuts. They just simply have to and, and uh, decide what they're going to be able to respond to. That is your safety. That is my safety when they can't respond. Um, so, you know, fortunately, they're trying to they've given them raises recently and trying to increase retention. Uh, but we have to do that. And, and you know, there's talk about in other places about removing qualified immunity from police and even prosecutors. That would be a disaster Um, to both of those uh, groups because people will leave them. If that happens, uh, we need to back them. That does not mean that we don't hold bad apples accountable. Right. Of You'll
1: enforce crimes that they commit, too. I mean, absolutely. that's who they're going to see. If a cop does something wrong, they're going to see you, aren't they?
2: You know, and my experience is the good cops don't want bad absolutely. cops in their ranks. Of um, you, you don't know, want
1: bad prosecutors. I don't want bad radio hosts. Absolutely. It, it takes down my industry.
2: Absolutely, yeah. it does. And so that doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable, but they have an incredibly hard job. Uh, A job that most of us would never even want to do, and we need to back them and support them in their, their efforts to keep us safe.
1: Rachel Mitchell is our guest. She is your county attorney. She is running for election again this November. Rachel Mitchell for Maricopa.com. When we come back, I'd like to speak with Rachel about two of my uh, pet concerns uh, when it comes to issues of law uh, and crime. I want to talk a little bit about uh, drug abuse, drug use, illegal drug use and trafficking and, and homelessness, which I am just uh, getting my sea legs on uh, and the connections between these things. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Rachel Mitchell. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're looking for a unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y Refi. Portions of this show brought to you by Y Refi. They're offering a fixed, no-load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. Y Refi is a due diligence approved firm and they are in the business of helping people dig out a debt the right way by actually paying off their debts. Investors do very well with Y-Refi by doing good, and you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and R-E-F-Y.com. Rachel Mitchell is our guest. She is our county attorney. She is in studio. Thank you for doing this on the way to a holiday weekend. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me. You
1: bet. I cry twice a year. Uh, Memorial Day, uh, for obvious reasons, and also Fourth of July, um, uh, for the opposite um, uh, uh, reason. But, uh, Rachel, two issues I've – well, one I've been involved in for about 25 years. One I am finding I can't not be involved in. The one I've been involved in for so long has been drug abuse and drug use, illegal drug abuse and drug use. And the other I'm getting uh, more and more uh, interested in is the issue of homelessness. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that. We just went through a year where we saw drug overdose deaths in this country constitute almost 110,000 souls. We've never seen numbers like that. I remember uh, when we were at about 17,000 a year about 10 years ago. Now we're at about 110,000 a year. Mm Talk to us about uh, illegal drug abuse. Talk to us about the non-enforcement of what people like to call our victimless crimes. And then if there's a nexus to the homeless thing or if we want to talk about it separately as its own issue, that's fine too. But just Rachel Mitchell unplugged on these things.
2: Well, you know, I recently uh, saw some data on uh, the fentanyl crisis. And we are without question of all of the border states, we are at the eye of the fentanyl storm. It is pouring across the border. It is killing kids. It is killing adults. Um, it is ruining lives. And it is, you know, I've prosecuted for 30 years. And even though I focus more on crimes against children, I certainly also prosecuted drug cases over the years. And it's like nothing I've ever seen it, as far as its its grip on people. And what we're seeing is uh, things that I've never seen in 30 years, such as Empty uh, beds at certain rehab uh, facilities or homeless shelters because people are so addicted they don't want to give it up to get a bed or to get into rehab. And uh, so we're also seeing, you know, to tie it in, uh, it's tied into homelessness. Now, some people are homeless for other reasons, mental health issues, and people who have come upon hard times, but drugs do contribute to that. And uh, you're seeing it downtown. You're seeing it throughout uh, Maricopa County.
1: How often, by the way, you can do a guesstimate or or an estimation or or – decline to to speculate if you don't know. But how how often, by the way, do you see drugs involved in other violent crime cases? My last look at this, and again, I've had a hard time getting current data, but my last look at this showed that the overwhelming majority of violent crimes have drugs involved in them.
2: Absolutely. We see uh, a large number of murders that are drug-related from Marijuana on up, and and even with the the legalization or decriminalization of marijuana, you still see uh, what we would call drug rips that result in a homicide uh, related to marijuana. We see drug rip. I don't know that phrase. Where somebody is ripping somebody off for it, either the drugs it, or money, and there's a you know gun battle and mm-hmm. somebody dies. Uh, we see it you know with every other type of drug as well. Uh, so that's part of it. Um, it is involved in child physical abuse. I was going to say in
1: the child abuse cases too, right?
2: Absolutely, it's involved in domestic violence. And, and I mean, if you add alcohol to mm-hmm. your sure. list of sure. drugs, it is an overwhelming an number of crimes that involve drugs. How often
1: is it? How often is it the case that when those who say drug use itself is a victimless crime, how often is it the case when we are looking at the incarcerated population that is incarcerated on a drug charge, it's that they are incarcerated on a drug charge because they pled down to that or it was the only thing we could get them on in an otherwise unsafe situation, for example, maybe a domestic abuse situation where someone doesn't want to testify but we can get them on the drug possession. Is that a fairly frequent thing too?
2: Yeah, it, you know, uh, so. people need to understand that in Arizona, personal possession of drugs, can you cannot go to prison on your first offense. So you may be talking about a subsequent offense. You may be talking about possession for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and also something that's interesting that I've learned that if you're in possession of, let's say, methamphetamine, mm-hmm. which is a class four felony, and a weapon, and you have a prior uh, so that would make you a felon in possession. That's a class four. If you go to prison on both of those, you're classified as being in there on a drug offense, uh-huh. not on a weapons offense. And it, it's just the classification system. So you kind of have to look at the whole package of what was charged, not just the resulting plea, you know, or, or one of the resulting uh, cases. That they yeah, protect. the
1: libertarians in my audience will understand that in relationship to COVID. Just because something was marked a COVID death doesn't mean that the shark didn't take their leg off or that they didn't die from lung cancer or a pre-existing heart condition already. Uh, Rachel, that's, that's right. And when you look at the homeless situation, you know, one of the things I have been uh, awakened to recently is, yes, there are different kinds of homeless. And we're not talking particularly right now about those who fell on times or can't simply put the money together to afford rent or a mortgage but are otherwise – uh, you know, fairly, fairly stable human beings who can avail themselves of friends or family in a temporary situation. And we're talking about something that almost looks chronic, although I hate to use that word because it implies that we can't do something about it, but something that looks far much, 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 much deeper and much darker. So uh, this quote unquote zone or what's the new tent city around Ninth Avenue in Jefferson that I keep talking about. Uh, That is a zone that is rife with mental illness and drugs. That is what it is. Mm -hmm. That is what it is. And I can't tell anyone who goes down there and no one who goes down there can tell me that there's such a that these are victimless crimes and 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 they can't tell me. That, um, that that this isn't something we can do something about. I appreciate your commitment to helping helping us do something about that. I really do. Thank you. Just wanted to thank you for that. Uh, why don't we say a word about the 4th of July when we come back? It's a short segment. We'll conclude the hour on that. How's All that? Right. Sounds great. Rachel Mitchell has been our in-studio guest. It's been a privilege having her. Rachel Mitchell dot com is her website. And we'll come back with concluding thoughts. Well, it has been a uh, delight to have Rachel Mitchell in studio with us. Uh, I'd like uh, to also say it's been a privilege and honor to be able to call her a new friend. Rachel Mitchell from com is her website. She is our county attorney. We're going into the holiday weekend. Uh, a summary thought or two, Rachel.
2: You know, this is uh, such an important uh, celebration for our country. And, you know, I was really disturbed today to <clears throat> find that the... Um Democratic Party down in Pima County posted something that I won't even repeat on uh, the radio. It'll save
1: me $300,000 if you don't.
2: Okay, (laughs) Uh, about the fourth. And, you know, just because you may be unhappy with something about our country, think of the blessings that we have. You know, I've traveled to other countries. I actually went on a short-term music mission, as I'm a musician, to Russia. And even though they, you know, say they've come out of of communism, the freedom is not comparable to what we have. You cannot share your faith openly. Uh, Churches cannot really own property very much there. Uh, Children are even more indoctrinated than you can imagine there in the schools. And so to come here and to be able to have political discourse and to worship God in your own way and to have all of the rights that are guaranteed to us, plus the rule of law versus the rule of man. Um, if that doesn't make you grateful, you need to take a civics lesson.
1: They, they used the F word in its full, uh, in its full expression on um, everything that gives them the right to have their march tomorrow night, right. Rachel. By the way, what instrument?
2: I am a percussionist.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. We should talk about that sometime. Okay. Percussion and Aristotle.
2: (laughs) Sounds great.
1: Abraham Lincoln in 1864 closed off a speech talking to the 144th Ohio Regiment, where he called this country and its founding an inestimable jewel. An inestimable jewel. Stand with Lincoln, folks. Stand with this country. Have a great holiday, and I'll look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, I am Seth Leaps, and she is Rachel Mitchell. Thank you. Class is dismissed